0: If it's the weekend, it's time to have fun with your pet. But when it comes to technology, apps, and what's hot, you don't want to waste money or waste your or your pet's time. Welcome to Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. In today's show, Lorian and her guests will keep you in the know to keep your pet happy as well as you and your family. Now here's your host, Lorian Clemens.
1: Happy Saturday, pet lovers! Our topic today is a really important one. It's pet cancer. Now, cancer is the leading cause of death in dogs over the age of 10. But it's not just a disease that affects senior dogs. Cats and younger dogs can also develop cancer. And as you can well imagine, the effects can be devastating. So today, we're going to talk about this really important topic. And to start off the conversation, we've invited back Dr. Kelly Deal from the Morris Animal Foundation. Foundation to give us kind of the setup of, of an overview of pet cancer and what it's all about. Welcome to the show, Dr. Deal.
2: It's great to be back,
1: Lori, and thanks for having me. Now, I mentioned that stat of uh, cancer being the leading cause of death in dogs over the age of 10, and frankly, when you start to look up information about pet cancer on the interwebs, there are some really daunting numbers. Can you talk a little bit to the statistics that are out there about um, pet cancer?
2: Uh, For sure. There are estimates that 12 million pets, so that's 6 million dogs and 6 million cats, will be diagnosed with cancer each year. And that comes from our friends at the Centers for Disease Control. Wow. So that's a huge, huge number. And um, there, I've seen a similar statistic that anywhere from cancer being a leading cause of death in dogs over 10 years of age to easily 50% of dogs over 10 will die of cancer. And I've even seen a statistic that... It's one of the leading causes of cancer in dogs over one year of age so before one of course we see a lot of trauma we mm-hmm. can see dogs die of infectious disease but cancer's moving up the list even for our younger dogs
1: mm-hmm. Wow and we're going to talk a little bit about you know some of those the, the reasons maybe that is why but when, when when you're out there and you're talking about cancer uh, what are the ty- types of cancer we're, we're, we're most commonly seen
2: well the I think everyone agrees that lymphoma is the most common type of cancer seen in both cats and dogs. So the most common type of malignant cancer. We see, you know, you could lump in, and no pun intended, those little fatty masses we see on our dogs, right? Cats don't tend to get those, but those are benign growths in general, right? We don't see really aggressive tumors, but lymphoma, as far as the most malignant or the most common malignant tumor, everybody seems to agree about that, both cats and dogs.
1: And that's a particularly devastating one, if I understand, correct? Because of the, this, attaches to the lymphatic system and it, then it gets into the blood pretty easily.
2: Yes. Yeah, you're right about that. And it can take a lot of different forms. Some forms are more amenable to treatment and can have a very long prognosis. Some are very aggressive. And cats and dogs, even though they get lymphoma, they get kind of different flavors of lymphoma. Mm -hmm. So they can vary. And there are some forms in cats, likewise, that can be very well treated and cats can live for a couple years. And others that are just move like lightning. Right.
1: And, and so you mentioned lymphoma. So I think people go, well, wait a minute. That's something that humans get. Humans get lymphoma. So are, are there a lot of types of cancers that we're familiar with in the human side of things that are also in the dog side of things? Or, or is it like you mentioned that, that there's like different variations due to species?
2: Uh, both. Lymphoma, you're right. When we talk about lymphoma in animals, we often talk about that it is similar to non-Hodgkin lymphoma in people, which a lot of people are familiar with, right? That's a very common Type of cancer. Other cancers that we can see that we share with animals are melanoma, so skin cancers in people. They look a little different in dogs and cats. They tend to be in pigmented areas Mm -hmm. and maybe not as associated with uv exposure but we certainly see those osteosarcoma which is a bone tumor we see not in cats kind of interesting very rare but we see it in dogs and it's, it behaves very similarly to pediatric osteosarcoma so the kind of bone cancer that young kids get adolescents mm-hmm. and it, there are tons of similarities between that type of cancer and the type that we see in dogs and, and i I'm curious, just because the, the melanoma like stood out
1: to me, you said it's not probably related to the UV exposure. Are there, there's a lot of things that we think of as carcinogens out there uh, that we avoid as humans. Are there similar types of things for our pets that we should be avoiding or, or, is, that, or is that research known?
2: There is some research on that actually and secondhand smoke. There's a lot of evidence and growing evidence that just like secondhand smoke is bad for us, it is also bad for our pets and has been associated with lymphoma and some other cancers. So there's growing evidence of that. It's sketchy, but there is some evidence that exposure to, you know, we always worry about herbicides and pesticides, right, might have some link to cancers. And there's some early data. It hasn't been repeated, but I think a lot of people do talk about that as a potential. Yes, in light-colored animals. So we always think of white cats. Exposure to UV light Mm -hmm. can be harmful and they're more predisposed to developing certain skin cancers in light colored or not very well uh, densely haired areas. Right, yeah, I actually had a white cat, and uh, he
1: he had a pink nose, <laughs> and so it w- was very little production there. And he actually, when he was quite young, he got his name, which was Bardolph, which uh, in the if you know Shakespeare, he's in a couple of different plays, and he talks about having a red bulbous nose. We named him Bardolph <laughs> because of the the blisters that he got on his nose when we when I first got him uh, that he from being in the sun. Now, thankfully, he never developed any kind of cancer from that. But it's funny that you should mention that. So. Let's, let's, let's talk about then, you know, what are some of the, the things that we should be looking for or, or what kind of symptoms if I look at it and go, wow, my pet's got a lump there. Is that cancer? Or gosh, he, he's, he's acting weird. What sort of things should I be looking for that should trigger me to take the pet to the vet to look for cancer?
2: Well, there's a couple things. One is, just like in us, let's say a sore develops and it doesn't heal. Sometimes we will chalk those up to, oh, did my pet get a scrape. But that can be a sign of certain, particularly skin cancers, right? And they say the same for us. If we have a sore that crops up, but boy, it just doesn't seem to be going away, or it's getting bigger, of course, that's a sign we need to be careful. Other things are we tell people, let's say you have a lump or bump that shows up. Things to watch for are, is that lump or bump getting large very quickly so if it seems to be come up but then stabilized maybe we're not so worried about that a lump that may be uncomfortable for our pet maybe something that should trigger us like hmm that that may be a little unusual i always tell people if the lump that comes up is very firmly adhered, like you can't get around it and move it. Think of those fatty masses dogs get. They're usually pretty easy to grasp and move. So if it's something that seems to be more firmly adhered, that's often a tip off we need to take our pet to the vet. Um, Other things are lamenesses. So we often say, oh, look, my dog must have hurt their leg. Maybe they twisted it or got a ligament injury. But if that lameness doesn't go away, that can be a sign of a bone tumor.
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah. This is a really good thing. So I'm thinking through like my own dog, like, Oh wow. We actually said that literally light just last week. Although he went away after a day for him. So, but, but that's really good to know that those type of things are, are things that we might just blow off, but maybe you should stop and say, Hmm, let's, let's at least get, it doesn't hurt to take them to the vet. Certainly to get that looked at, to get that peace of mind for, for, for sure. Right. I want, to, I want to talk about, uh, let's let's move on to, to Morris Animal Foundation. Let's spend the last half of our time together talking about that because you guys are doing some really amazing research right now in regards to pet cancer, both in the past and currently going on. I would love it if you could share some of that research that your foundation either has done funded in the past or is funding right now.
2: Oh, sure. So right now, we've had a long history of funding cancer. We've been in business now for almost 70 years, and almost that entire time, we've funded some studies in cancer. The Several that we have, we have 27 active studies right now, and we're just getting ready to start looking at some of our new small animal, that's dog and cat studies. But we have a couple interesting ones. One that we're doing in cats is using a new tool that's almost like an ultrasound. So if you guys have seen an ultrasound machine before, but what this ultrasound is actually looking at is are there cancer cells left behind when you're doing surgery? So it's been used in breast cancer surgery in people Because what what happens many times even with us is, and this is a problem, is we go ahead and we do surgery, the surgeon uses their experience and says, Yep, got all the cancer, right? Mm -hmm. Got scoop this out. They submit that tumor for evaluation and they find out, oh no, there are tumor cells right to the edge of the mass I took out, which means I've probably got tumor cells left back behind. This new modality can be used in surgery to look at tissue differences so they can go, oh, you know what, I'm seeing some subtle differences here, this looks like there may be some cancer here, and right there in surgery, during the same surgery, they can go back and perhaps take a little bit wider margin, a little bit more tissue, because we know that the better we can do with that first surgery in many cases, the better we can do long term, right, if we can get that out. So we're using that in cats right now. We're doing some personalized. Can I I stop you real quick? So why, why just in cats? I mean, is that
1: something you're going to eventually move over to dogs? Or is there a particular reason for just cats right now?
2: And actually, it's going to be used in dogs in the next phase. It just started in cats because cats have a type of tumor where they can get what's called an injection site sarcoma. And it's a very aggressive tumor that can infiltrate. And we see it fairly, not common in cats at all, but it can be the type of tumor that's very amenable to surgery if you get a good surgery to begin with. Mm-hmm. So this was the first uh, trial that we did just because that particular tumor, it it's so critical to get to shell all that out the first time mm-hmm. so we're going to move hopefully to sarcomas which is just a type of malignant tumor in dogs next using cool. that same technology
1: awesome all right what what was next what you were i interrupted you so what was next
2: oh that's okay we're looking at a personalized approach we have some researchers who are looking at ta- sort of tailoring uh, chemotherapy in dogs with osteosarcoma so again that bone tumor i mentioned to Decide based on the characteristics of the dog and the tumor what they might respond to best because we have a couple different chemotherapies we can use. So that's undergoing right now, which is a whole big new thing in human medicine, right, where they tailor our treatment to us, not a one-size-fits-all approach. Mm -hmm.
1: Awesome. Cool. And you have another – if you can talk to it, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it or not, but you have another big research pro- project that I know you're doing with golden
2: retrievers. Can you talk about that uh, research at all? Absolutely. That's my very favorite, so I saved it for last. Oh, so <laughs> we have our golden retriever lifetime study, which we enrolled a little over 3,000 dogs and we're following them to some specific endpoints. And we know that goldens get a lot of cancer. So this The heart of this study is really a cancer study, and our four endpoints are that dogs are diagnosed with one of four tumors, mast cell tumor which is a type of skin tumor, osteosarcoma that we mentioned before which is a bone tumor lymphoma, again, we mentioned that before, and hemangiosarcoma, which is a very aggressive tumor that can form, it tends to form in the spleen or the heart. So we're following dogs till we get 500 of those diagnoses together. And what we're following is everything. Where do these dogs live? How much activity do they participate in every day very detailed descriptions of their diet where they the the environment they live in like we ask what's your carpeting do you have hardwood floors what heating do you have and the idea is that we're going to look for associations between all these other factors and the development of these specific cancers Right.
1: And and that goes to what I was mentioning before, like, do we know if there's any carcinogens out there that affect pets in particular? I think this is so exciting that I would assume then, just just from a research perspective, let's say that you say, huh, you know, there seems to be a correlation between X and Y. Let's do a separate study just on those. Is that what like, an offshoot would be of this?
2: Absolutely. And you've You've hit it. One of the first things that we want to do is see, is there an association? And then, right, the next step is to design a study to look closer at that association. Is this just something that we just happen to notice in our cohort or does it apply to a larger group of dogs or maybe dogs that aren't goldens? So then, right, you would set up another study looking a little bit more closely in a little bit more controlled way at those associations. Right now, our idea is to just, it's an observational study which means we're trying really hard not to intervene in any way, right? All we're doing is observing how these dogs are treated by their owners.
1: Right. So there's no overlying hypothesis going on. It is simply observation to see what is going on. And then you're going to form some opinions and hypotheses off of that.
2: Exactly. That's exactly correct.
1: Awesome. Fun stuff. Great stuff. I want to make sure, because this is really important, Morris Animal Foundation uh, is an incredible group. They fund a lot of amazing science, but you still need help with funding. So can you tell people how they can get involved and how they can help uh, fund some of this stuff?
2: Absolutely. We're We're entering one of our big campaigns, which is Unite to Fight Pet Cancer. We do it every year in conjunction with Pet Cancer Awareness Month, which, as you know, is in May. And so they can go to our website at www.MorrisAnimalFoundation, one word, .org, and we have donations there. And they can either donate to our general fund, but they can also earmark donations to different studies if they feel like it and any they can also give us a call we're we have lots of great client and donor relations folks who'd be happy to help uh, we have monthly donors just like maybe you've seen on national public radio mm-hmm. and we also have legacy donors as well
1: oh that's wonderful well thank you so much for being on the show again today dr deal i really appreciate it, it was great fun thanks Lorian. Awesome. Well, hang tight, pet lovers, because up next, we're going to talk about some cutting-edge treatments for cancer. And we're also going to take a a look at the role that your pet's diet can have in helping them battle the big C. And that's what's up next, Lover Geek, on Voice America's Variety Channel.
3: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk.
0: Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life.
3: Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleiner Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: This is Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. If you'd like to connect with the show today, please call us. At 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's one 472 5788 Feeling shy? You can also send an email to PetLoverGeek at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to Pet Lover Geek. This weekend, we're talking about cancer in pets. Now, I know it's not a fun topic, but it is really important to explore because it, it affects so many of our beloved companion animals. And to talk with us about therapies and treatment uh, for cancer in pets, I've invited veterinary oncologist Dr. Rachel Venable from the Arizona Veterinary Oncology Clinic to come on the show and talk to us about some of the most cutting edge, exciting therapies that are being used right now to fight cancer cancer in pets. Dr. Venable, welcome to the show.
4: Hi, thank you.
1: I'm really excited to have you. I know you guys are really busy, so thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us. I want to talk first about um, the fact that you are a board-certified veterinary oncologist, and there aren't that many of them in the U.S. I was actually shocked that there's less than 400 uh, veterinary oncologists that are board-certified in the United States. So what does that mean, first and foremost, to be a veterinary oncologist um, and radiologist, but also to be board-certified? Why is that important?
4: Right. Yeah, that's a great question. So what it means to be boarded is essentially what we've done is we've gone through four years of veterinary school and then done additional training, so one year at a veterinary internship and then generally three years in a medical residency. So uh, with that, we're strictly just treating oncology and learning more about oncology and and treating those patients. And then to get board certified, what you have to do beyond just those years of training – is you have to provide, uh, do so much research and have uh, certain publications as well as pass a couple pretty grueling exams. So um, it's essentially just that certification means that it's someone that's gone through all this extra training, gone through all the certifications and has, you know, really gone an extra mile and is going to know more about oncology than your general practitioner would.
1: And then it goes a step farther, too. I know that some people, and I, and I, maybe even you, and I maybe dismissed it, but actually are certified in oncology radiology as well?
4: Yes. So there is uh, radiation oncology. So there's medical oncology. And then radiation oncology. So radiation oncology, those are going to be the guys that do the radiation. Uh, So with the large machines, a lot of times they do a lot just with radiology and interventional radiology in general versus medical oncology. Where are the ones that do uh, where you think more about the chemotherapy Mm -hmm. and also just kind of talking, you know, with the clients and sort of setting up that plan or recommending radiation? Right. That's what we do.
1: Got it. And that's a great segue nicely done into talking about chemo, because a while back, uh, we thought our Boston Terrier Penny might have cancer, and while we were waiting for pathology to come back uh, on the tumor, we were talking to our vet about whether we really even wanted to do chemotherapy, because in our minds, you know, that means she's going to get sick, she's going to lose hair, she's going to feel terrible, she was already an older dog, and then he said, well, chemotherapy really isn't the same for dogs, it is for humans, now it turned out that the, the tumor was benign, so we didn't even continue that conversation, but that stuck with me. And I thought, well, what is the difference? Why, how is it different from human chemotherapy?
4: Yeah, so in our dogs, you know, your vet was right. They they really do tolerate it a lot better. Uh, the majority actually don't have any side effects. And depending on the protocol, it can even be as high as 85% that don't have side effects. So really the exact opposite of what you and I would expect if we went through treatment. And there's a few differences for that. Some of it is just inherently how their body tolerates the drugs. Um, they don't lose their fur, most of them. Um, they don't have that same you know, where they get really sick and end up in the hospital. I mean, while some of those things can happen, it's much, much rare. And, you know, with dogs, one of the reasons, you know, is that we don't push them quite as hard as they do in people, so we're not pushing those drug dosages quite as hard. But overall, their bodies, just the way they metabolize and tolerate the drugs is just a lot better than how we do. So most dogs, they actually feel better on chemo, which is always hard for people to imagine because that's the exact opposite of... How oh, yeah. We feel you know and,
1: <laughs> exactly
4: right <laughs> right because in people it's like you suffer through chemo to try to get more time yeah. but a lot of times with our our dogs and cats they actually feel better on the therapy because we're treating the disease and you know the other big thing too in veterinary oncology we do balance more that quality of life factor versus in people it's much more survival and you know, some of that is because in people, they're hoping for decades, and a lot of times in our canine and feline patients, you know, we know that even if they weren't sick, we're not looking at quite that same amount of time frame. So, you know, that kind of goes into why we don't push them always quite as hard as they do in people.
1: Right, because it might mean a couple more months, not a couple more years or decades for them. hmm Right. So, okay, now I want to I switch gears a little bit and talk about a therapy that your facility is the only one in Arizona that does it. Uh, tell us about stereotactic radiosurgery.
4: Radio yeah, so that is a new therapy that's really come out. Even in people, it hasn't been out that long compared to, you know, a lot of our radiation. So it's a new technology where essentially we're able to get deliver really high doses of radiation uh, to tumors in just a few treatments. So classically with radiation, you give small amounts over several treatments. With this SRS or the stereotactic radiosurgery, we're able to really just pinpoint treating that tumor. So we have the technology now where we can really spare the normal tissues. So now we can really deliver that high dose of treatment over just uh, usually over only three treatments. So that's a lot easier for people to do versus the more traditional forms of radiation. You're looking at like 18 to 20 treatments.
1: Yeah and and again like with chemotherapy sometimes the the cure is, is the treatment is worse than the, than the actual disease. I know people have often suffered from the what they happens after the radiology. So that doesn't happen as much.
4: Correct. A lot of times with radiation we see the dogs tolerate it really well. And with the SRS that's also a situation where we give it to the tumor directly. So it's not something where they could have have surgery first and then radiation. So this was originally, in people looked at a lot with brain tumors. And so that's where we've been using a lot in dogs too, because those are obviously areas we can't really surgically remove. But then there's other parts of the body or just sometimes tumors where they grow, that surgery just really isn't an option. And so this is a a good alternative for people. And it is something that, you know, we really aren't seeing those significant side effects like we used to with the you know, the older forms of radiation. And some of that is because the technology is so much better and we're able to spare the normal tissue so much more than what we could in the past.
1: Yeah, that's, that's incredible. That's really exciting. Now, okay, so chemotherapy, radiology, and and you just mentioned also surgery. I think those are the options that most people think, well, th- those are my three choices, which one's it going to be. But there's a lot of other therapies and, and things that can be done for for cancer, maybe not necessarily for cure, but also, as you said, for quality of life. So can you talk a little bit about those?
4: Yeah, some of the other options we've got out there are different and some of even different types of chemotherapy. So they're drugs that are more of the targeted therapies. They're kind of the next generation. So a lot of the commercials you see on TV right now are all talking about various different targeted therapies for all different kinds of diseases. That's kind of where people are going now. So your chemo is more of your broad spectrum. Uh, it kills cells that are rapidly dividing, and which is typically your tumor cells. But that's also why we see some of the side effects we do. With this more targeted therapies, they're basically going after specific receptors that are mutated on your tumor cells. And so the goal and the idea is that we see a lot less side effects than we do with the more traditional drugs because it's more targeted to that tumor. So those are options out there. A lot of times in our dogs, the ones we have um, are actually pills. So people enjoy that. They're not having to go in and get catheters placed or IV infusions. You know, It's something they can do at home and then coming back for rechecks. Um, There's some other things with the chemo drugs we can do. So another newer therapy is called low-dose chemotherapy or metronomic. That's where we give classic chemotherapy drugs, but in much smaller doses over a continuous period of time. And, again, those are pills, so people are able to give those to their pets at home. So sometimes that's a little bit easier for them, you know, than having to come in on a regular basis for IVs. Uh, Some other... Yeah, see, so those are – I think a lot of people, too, sometimes that middle of the road just, is pills are nice. You know, um, they they just like being able to do something at home versus having to do, you know – even in people, I think a lot of us would prefer taking a pill versus having to get a shot. Well,
1: yeah. And again, I think it goes back to that, what do we, what, what, do I envision when I think of chemotherapy? Well, I think of sitting in there with an IV for a couple of hours. And, you know, that, that's that. imagining putting my dog through that on a regular basis is pretty awful to think about. And quality of life, as you said, is the most important thing for dogs. I have a question about and cats of course i have a question about the the therapies that are coming out new are, is it because of developments in dna studies and what why why are we able to get such targeted things now that we didn't have before
4: it is learning more about the genome has certainly helped you know trying to figure out you know really trying to target things and also a lot of it's just you know the molecular biology has really improved over the last you know, couple decades, and so now it's one of those when the, the scientists find all the different markers, and then it's sort of, okay, now pharmaceuticals, now we can come in and try to figure out, all right, how can we target these with disease? So it's, it's really a stepwise thing that's been going on for several years, but we finally have gotten to the point of, okay, now we, can, we know more about what's going on in these tumor cells, what's being switched on to cause the cancer, so how can we turn that off? So yeah, it's really more just learning it, some of it really just goes back to those basic sciences.
1: So looking ahead in the future, all of these, these are great new things that are going on right now. But what, what do you think are those most promising developments in research and studies regarding veterinary cancer treatment that are really most exciting to you?
4: Yeah. You know, the big thing right now is immunotherapy. Everyone's trying to see how can we use the immune system to target its own, you know, these tumor cells. So there's a a few different ones out there with lymphoma. Uh, We found some good ones for people. So we're trying to find something similar in dogs. Um, Same with there's a bone tumor called osteosarcoma that happens in children, but it's pretty common in dogs as far as tumors go. So that's another one where we're looking at using um, basically the body's own immune system to then you know, come back, target and kill these cells. And we have one already a therapy developed for melanoma that actually uses this immunotherapy.
1: I think I'm so glad you mentioned melanoma, by the way, a lot of people don't think that dogs can get skin cancer, but they absolutely can and cats as well.
4: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah. and a lot of times it actually happens in the mouth. So it it is different than what the type that we get.
1: Yeah. And the other thing that I've heard mentioned, especially with like white animals on the nose and some of the Places on their skin that are a little bit more susceptible to sun damage, especially is a, a dangerous spot too for them.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, thank- yes, definitely.
1: I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Oh, well, thank you so much.
1: It was really great having you. And make sure you stick around, Pet Lovers. We've got a lot more really great insight on cancer, how to help your pet fight it, things like diet, and even some newer therapies that involve fun things like marijuana. We'll be right back with more Pet Lover Geek on Voice America's Variety Channel.
3: Streaming live
5: A phenomenon. <laughs> do, do. All right, never mind. Uh, that's every Saturday right here on the Voice America Variety
3: Channel. News. news, 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 news Opinion. Your voice me. counts. Hear Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: This is Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. If you'd like to connect with the show today, please call us at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Feeling shy? You can also send an email to PetLoverGeek at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to the show, pet lovers. Today, we are digging into a pretty tough subject. We're talking about cancer with our pets. Now, I think I mentioned this earlier. About nine or so months ago, we had a big cancer scare with Penny, our Boston Terrier. And the vet was removing a fast-growing tumor. She's had a lot of tumors. She's all over 12 years old. But uh, most of them are, you know, warty type of things. But this one was really fast-growing. It was on her leg. It was quite big and ugly. And right before he sent it off to pathology, he told us, he said, listen, guys, I, I'm 99% sure this is a mass." Tumor, uh, and depending on how early we got it, it could it could be bad news. It was really devastating to hear. So, being who I am, I immediately started researching on what what's that type of cancer? What is mast cell? What does it mean? You know, what are all the treatments that are out there? We knew we didn't even want to consider. Uh, chemotherapy because of her age um, and all the research that I could find on mass cell tumors. But this resource that kept coming up over and over and over again was the Dog Cancer Survival Guide. Now, as it turned out, three days later, we got word that the tumor was benign. It wasn't a uh, mass cell carcinoma. Uh, but... The inspiration that I had for doing this episode was everything I've read about in my research and what I read about in the Dog Cancer Survival Guide that has been on my mind ever since. And it actually changed a lot of the things that I was doing as a pet parent for all of our dogs, even though Penny didn't have cancer. So I'm really excited today. We have one of the primary contributors uh, to the Dog Cancer Survival Guide, Dr. Damian Dressler. He's with us today on the show. Dr. Dressler, welcome to Pet Lover Geek.
6: Thank you. Pleasure to be here.
1: Really happy to have you here. Appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I'd love it if you could first talk about mindset. You know, where, where should people's minds be or where's your mind when you're talking about the treatment of these really tough things like cancer and other hard to handle, often devastating to hear animal issues?
6: It's a good question because when it comes to things like cancer and other problems where we don't have an immediate cure, then there's a lot of gray zone in terms of what we do. And a lot of that gray zone has to do with guardianship style. What's your particular philosophy? What are your particular ethics? What are your particular priorities when it comes down to the well-being of your pet, particularly if you're dealing with an aged or a senior animal? So one of the most important things, I think, is the idea of guardianship. And in, in applied to that is vigilance. Vigilance is kind of this the, the vigilant protection uh, where there's an active monitoring and also a certain toughness that we have to assume because dealing with these really tough emotional problems can be taxing. And we always have to remember to keep ourselves in a good and healthy mindset so we can make the best decisions for our pets.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know for me, just the word cancer <laughs> sent chills up my spine and uh, like I mentioned Penny is a senior pet so it, it was immediately something that my husband we went into uh, survival mode ourselves like okay what are we going to do and we're, we're both science based people who are action based people and it was really it was overwhelming everything that's out there um, but uh, I, I like I like what you're talking about with guardianship so let's talk a little bit more about that I mean how does that relate to making decisions about your pet's health care.
6: Well, really, it's a question of stewardship. Now, one of the things that we're used to doing in life, and it's understandable, is kind of deferring to the forces that be as far as the decisions that we make. And that's good, and that's also bad. And what's good about it is you're dealing with somebody, hopefully, who has experience in the area that you don't. So you can use that knowledge, you can capitalize on it as a resource. Sometimes, however, what's bad about that is when the mindset of the person that you're dealing with doesn't match up with your own personal mindset and your own personal values. And so when we adopt the role of Being a true uh, animal steward, which is taking care of the needs of an animal, all of a sudden we kind of tip that usual paradigm of being a client to some sort of higher authority as a veterinarian, and we have to start to become more accustomed to really being in in a decision making capacity, which means that we have to get the information that's important uh, to making correct decisions for us, and also have the sort of internal grit and the internal resilience to follow through on those personal values and those personal priorities. So it's a little bit of an inversion of the usual paradigm where uh, uh, we have some higher authority as decision maker. We have to put ourselves as a higher authority and do what's right for us and our pet.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, I mentioned that um, the research that I did almost a year ago led us to change some things, the way that we were doing things with our pet. And frankly, the biggest one was diet. Uh, Uh, So I'd love if you can talk about, you know, is there a link? What is the link between diet and cancer in pets?
6: There's a number of different links, uh, and I think it's a really important thing to to think about. We look at people, and a lot of uh, the the ideas that we have uh, in veterinary medicine are derived from human medicine and the reverse is true. Animals are models of human disease too. And so a lot of what the doctors know, the physicians uh, come from, from animals. There's a lot of similarities there. So if we were to use some of these comparisons, we can look, answer some of these diet questions. Now in people, we see that the cancer rates go up significantly because uh, they're overweight. Well, the same thing is true with pets. Almost, I think it's 52% of pets these days are considered clinically obese. That's a big risk factor for cancer. And the reason why is because lean pets secrete a hormone in the body called adiponectin, which has anti-cancer properties. However, there's less adiponectin in the body uh, when a pet becomes obese. So right off the bat, we're dealing with a problem. Similarly, the diets of pets have a lot to do with the development of cancer. Now, I think it was in the late 80s, there's a lot of kind of uh, public recognition of superheated foods creating carcinogens, uh, burning of food. And these burnt food actually potentiate cancers and and creates these substances that are cancer-causing. This has been shown in a wide variety of different uh, clinical studies. Now, in pets, if we look at our food, the way that pet food is processed, there also are these same carcinogens in the superheated foods, primarily the foods uh, in the industrial processing uh, that are kibbles. And so there's a higher proportion of these heterocyclic amines, these cancer-causing agents, and these foods that have been heated. So what we're trying to do these days is decrease the cooking temperatures of the pet foods, and a lot of pet food companies are becoming savvy, uh, and also adding things that are healthy. Now, now dogs are are not carnivores, Uh, they're omnivores, they eat different things. And when you look at dogs out in nature, they are eating vegetable matter. They're not out there uh, grazing like a cow or a ruminant, but what they are doing is they go for the innards of a prey species, of an animal that has eaten plants. So they'll eat the liver and the stomach lining. Now, those plant constituents get in the body and they have beneficial anti-cancer effects. So, And if you look at some studies that have been done, in dogs that eat colored vegetables, and those are going to be things like dark green leafy things. Uh, these are, you know, broccolis and kales and, and bell peppers and things like that. Uh, for some cancers, those cancer rates go down. So really, it's kind of a almost, in a way, going back to nature and using some of the natural uh, uh, the natural wisdom or, the, or or the ways that things happen in nature, and connecting that with some of these modern ideas of of development of cancer uh, or other diseases.
1: Yeah, and I know that, I mean, we obviously didn't have to deal with cancer, but we made some pretty profound changes in the way we fed both of our dogs. Um, and we're trying to do it with the cats. Cats are not as receptive to it. but uh, <laughs> uh, And it's made a tremendous difference just in how energetic they are. And Penny, who's a almost 13-year-old dog, she acts like she's 5 or 6. And it's been amazing to watch the turnaround uh, since making a lot of the changes that I learned about uh, reading your book. So I want to talk about uh, – because I've started to look at this book as it's almost like a really great health book, but mm-hmm. it's not. It's about cancer survival. So why did you write this book, uh, The Dog Cancer Survival Guide, as opposed to a different type of pet health book?
6: Well, there are lots of diseases out there that probably deserve to have books written about them, and I encounter these diseases all the time in clinical practice over here on Maui. But the reason why I chose this one, really two. One, the frequency of dog cancer, even cat cancer, but primarily dog cancer, you know, Some estimates one in two pets over 10 are afflicted by cancer. That's huge. And some breeds, up to three quarters of those uh, individuals, are afflicted by cancer. Uh, Golden Retrievers, for example. And anywhere from one to three, maybe a little bit more, dogs overall are affected with cancer. It's the number one killer of dogs. So I thought as an animal care provider and somebody who supports the well-being of animals, let's focus on the thing that that hurts them the most is is happening a lot. It has the fewest answers out there available to the general public.
1: Yeah. And I think it's also, to me, just, just the whole, it's a big, big volume. And it just immediately, there's so many different things in it that it really helped me kind of get my mind around, okay, I I don't just have these conventional, scary sounding things like chemotherapy to do. So I'd like for you to help a little bit, uh, to help people, You know, what about that question that what else can I do? What is there out there? What options do I have?
6: Well, you we always want to look, uh, you know, look at the information that's a, as objective as possible. And one of the problems that you see is when you get out there and you start looking online, it's very difficult to sort out, okay, what is a good sound clinical basis, what is safe, what is effective, and what's the science behind it. So I adopted what's called a full spectrum approach. That's what I call it. It's integrated medicine. So we're looking at not only what's in the conventional, Uh, Arsenal in treating disease. So so for cancer, it's going to be surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation. But let's not forget about all of the other things that we have a very signed scientific basis for. For example, a diet change, a limit a limiting carbohydrates, because we know that carbohydrates feed cancer cells. That's a good change to do. What about the use of certain supplements? I, I discuss these in the book, but there's good evidence to show that certain mushroom extracts can, can support the immune system. These are not well-known in veterinary medicine, but they're pretty well-known in human medicine. And I, talk, again, talk about these in the Dog Cancer Survival Guide. I designed a supplement called Apocaps. Apocaps has natural constituents in it to help shift the balance of of cell growth towards healthy cells as opposed to unhealthy cells. So immune stimulation, helping to reduce cancer cell burden, uh, these are going to be just a few of the many examples uh, uh, and ways that we can address this. And let's not forget the mindset. In humans, there is something called a C-type personality. C stands for cancer. That means that a certain personality type, is more prone to getting cancer. So if we use that information, i.e. these are people who usually have low what's called self-efficacy, that's the idea of empowerment. They, They have a low sense of personal power or personal efficacy, how can we apply that to the animals? How can we get these animals so that they're feeling stronger as a mindset so it's more of a, a almost vaguely like a warriorship type of, of position and really get them going so they're having a dynamic lifestyle? And it's been shown that there's a lot of connections between physiology and neurochemistry. That is what's happening in the brain versus what's happening outside of the brain. Those two things are linked, and we can capitalize on that also when we're fighting chronic disease or dealing with its prevention.
1: Yeah, I, I, um, I think probably one of the biggest sayings that went into my brain when we first got our, our puppy was, you get what you pet. Um, so <laughs> um, I, that kind of goes right along lines with what, what you were saying. I want, we're running out of time, but I want to make sure that people know how to find out more from you online. Can you give us uh, how do people can find you online?
6: Sure. Well, the book, the Dog Cancer Survival Guide is available through Amazon.com uh, and it's there for purchase. And there's a, there's an electronic version and there's a hard copy version. Uh, in terms of being in contact with me directly, probably uh, through my veterinary practice, which is uh, South Shore Veterinary Care over here on Maui. Uh, and that's info at southshorevetcare.com. I rarely, but occasionally will do off site consultations for people uh, whose pets uh, have various different problems. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I do it in my off hours because right. we're very busy, but nonetheless, uh, it's it's something that I can make happen if somebody's in a real bind.
1: And also there's the, the dogcancerblog.com as well that I thought was a wealth of resources, which is great, too.
6: Oh, absolutely, yeah, In terms, of, so that's not, right, so it's not, not quite a direct access point to me, but in terms of general information, yeah, dogcancerblog.com for sure, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's been written over there, uh, most of it by myself, and then we have a, a, a YouTube channel also that you can access through the blog, there's also a free download on the blog, again, dogcancerblog.com for uh, diet, if you want to learn more about uh, how the nutritional aspects uh, can be used to help fight cancer whole bunch of information is out there
1: fantastic thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today dr dressler it's a pleasure all right make sure you stick around pet parents because up next we are going to talk about a well-known but quite controversial plant that is making great promise in veterinary health that's what's next on pet lover geek on voice america's variety channel
3: streaming live
0: where can you learn about EasyWayPromotions.com's social media marketing, brand positioning, and more? Easy Talk Live. Where can you get tuned into celebrities in the business world? Easy Talk Live. Where can you learn about entrepreneurment? Easy Talk Live. Every week, host Eric E. Z. Zuli and his celebrity friends talk about global causes, offer tips and tricks that you can use right now on social media, and give you the chance to promote your projects on Easy Talk Live. Every Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
3: Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: This is Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. If you'd like to connect with the show today, please call us at one 472 5788 Again, that's one 472 5788 Feeling shy? You can also send an email to PetLoverGeek at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back, pet lovers. We're going to wrap up the show today on pet cancer by talking about a really cutting-edge option that's out there for helping curb some of the symptoms and the impact of your pet's disease. And I'm talking about cannabis. Yeah, we're going to talk about marijuana next. And you basically would need to be living under a rock for the last few years if you've not heard about the multitude of incredible medical uses that are out there for humans and and using cannabis, things like nausea and helping with appetite issues from chemotherapy, alleviating pain, and even treating other diseases like epilepsy. You know, the medical applications for humans have been incredible. Unfortunately, there's this whole legal issue still with marijuana on a federal level, of course, and then there's a lot of states who haven't embraced the value that this plant can bring to us. But there's also the value that it can bring to our pets, and I want to talk about that next. So there's a lot of applications that are out there medically for pets, the same as there are for humans, and I've invited um, Tony Alfieri to come and talk with us today. He is an inventor and a cannabis expert. He's been working in the industry for over 20 years now, and he's going to talk to us about how cannabis-based products are poised to be veterinary healthcare breakthroughs. Tony, welcome to the show.
5: Thank you for having me.
1: Really excited to get to talk to you. So first, I want to start first because some folks that are listening may not really understand. They just think marijuana, they think pot, they think smoking it to get high. But I would like for you to just kind of break down the plant itself. And let's talk about those different chemicals that are in there and how they work, you know, THC and CBDs and all that.
5: Absolutely. The cannabis plant has a, a ton of compounds. And you know, the one that everybody knows about, that everybody uh, talks about, is THC, and that is a psychoactive compound. But the uh, the benefits I think in the plant come from the other side of the of the coin, the non psychoactive ingredients like CBD and in all of its constituent molecules. Uh, CBD is a well known anti inflammatory, and there's a lot of research being done on its application for different types of cancer, from brain to stomach.
1: Cool. And so, so I, I've mentioned a couple of things, you know, epilepsy and cancer, nausea, and things like that from chemo that humans have been using it for, for quite a while now. But let's talk specifically about animals. Like, Is it the same type of uses for animals?
5: Uh, same t- type of uses, but there are, there are some complications with animals. There are certain things in cannabinoid compounds that animals shouldn't have, such as some terpenes and things. So... To, to say that it's the same stuff that humans can take is a, is, is a little bit wrong. It's the same molecule, but it comes in different formats that's safe for pets.
1: Right. So, so, what, so the first thing first, let's, don't be giving your pets <laughs> marijuana. That's first thing to say. But, so let's talk about specifically what parts are, are you able to use for medical purposes and, and what, how, how is that process done?
5: Well, the cannabis plant itself is, is pretty well the same from marijuana to hemp, but just it matters how much THC is in the plant. So we like to focus on, of course, low THC, what they consider hemp, and the hemp is grown and, and dried and extracted and turned into a refined hemp oil, which is high in CBD and other CBD uh, components like CBDA and all the rest of the cool stuff that, that we that we're studying. Uh, so basically, what you're getting is an extract from the from the uh, hemp plant. And that comes in the form of an oil or a powder, uh, which consists of somewhere in the 50 to 90% range CBD.
1: Got it. And so tell me about some of the applications that we're looking at for pets in, spe- in particular.
5: Well, we we look at currently, you know, I, we have uh, clinical trials going on through one of my companies. And, you know, we're looking at things on the, the superficial. We're looking at hips and joints. We're looking at um, you know, uh, anti-anxiety stuff. We're looking at, at those kind of things to start. Um, we're, we are the pioneers in the CBD field for pets, so um, you know, as for cancer trials and things, we're, we're not yet there. And it's going to be some time before we get there. We're taking one step at a time.
1: Right. And I think what's interesting, and, and the reason I brought you on this show for this is because I actually have some friends and even family who have pets that uh, are going through chemotherapy. And they've used uh, some of the products that you've been associated with, the therapists uh, in particular, um, to help with things like appetite for the dogs that are losing their appetite and also for just general joints and, 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 and feeling better. And even though it's not treating the cancer per se, it is definitely helping the the symptoms. So, so I'd like to talk specifically about Therabus because that's the one that I've had friends and family using and they're raving about it. So can you tell us a little bit about that? How was it developed? Um, How did it come into being and how, what are the different uses of it?
5: A therapist basically was started as as the uh, secret powder that every veterinarian has from our from our veterinarian on staff and founder co-founder I should say Dr. Stephen Katz. Uh, he brought to me the formulation and we put it into our lab with our scientist uh, Jim Sharkey and uh, basically we turned it into a next gen uh, product with you know CBD and we we took it from there and said well let's let's go ahead and treat the common uh, the common ailments that dogs have so we have products for a hip and joint called Up and Moving. We have a product uh, for, for anti-itch uh, called Stop the Itch. And we have a product for Calm called Calm and Quiet. And we find that the CBD, along with the beneficial omegas, uh, really do help skin and coat all the way across the board. And then we use them to synergize other elements of the, of the uh, therapist product, such as L-theanine and bromelain and q with CBD. Uh, and they, they provide an extra effect where you don't normally see as much of an effect from just the uh, standard uh, botanicals.
1: So, so the product is out, but you're also doing, you mentioned clinical trials. What are you guys seeing in the, in the, in the research that you're doing with these things? What are, is it making a big difference?
5: It absolutely does. I mean, uh, it, it's it's very obvious when you give your dog the product that it works. Uh, my dog has has been on it for years. She's 17. She has cancer. She has bad hips and everything you can imagine. And it's a night and day improvement. So we get great feedback from the hip and joint trials and the calm and anxiety is uh, trials are, are going quite well. There'll be some white papers published at the end of the year or so on that from University of Pennsylvania.
1: That's incredible. 17 year old dog and you know that it's making such a big impact. That's really amazing. So tell us. Um, uh, first of all, how, how can folks get therapists for their pets?
5: A therapist is available nationwide at www.therapist.com. Um, it's also sold all over the place. If you go to therapist.com, there's a store finder. It's available all over Arizona and Colorado, California. Uh, you know, it's being sold on the East coast and drug stores and it's being, it's been accepted quite well by pet owners, even in mainstream, uh, you know, uh, channels.
1: Well, one of the questions that gets asked, and this is something that actually my husband was saying, he's like, he goes, wait a minute, is it legal in all States or we live in Washington state, So we're like, it's legal here, but are um, products like therapist that contain part of the hemp are, they are legal nationwide, even though it contains what people think of as marijuana, which is illegal in several places.
5: It's correct, and CBD has never been illegal. It's been illegal to grow and manufacture CBD uh, here in the United States or leave the state that it's been manufactured in. So as long as you're importing the CBD from a, from a Europe um, and it's already been processed, it has always been illegal to sell and, and distribute. The only qualification is, is if it's grown in the state and made in the state, it cannot leave the state.
1: Got it. So if it, so you guys basically are having to work internationally to produce this because of that loss.
5: Absolutely. In fact, we get several ingredients of our product from international sources. Green Lip Muscle comes directly from New Zealand. The CBD comes directly from Europe. Um, you know, we, we have a pretty comprehensive product. It's, it's not something we just threw together. It's one of those uh, uh, deeply researched and, and, and well-founded products.
1: So I've got to ask, you're, you, you mentioned clinical trials, you've mentioned other companies that I, and I know you do a lot in the cannabis space. Are there things that are coming down the pike or, or you maybe can tell us about that are being researched for other applications in the future?
5: Uh, lots of stuff is being done with informal trials. We're taking the formal trial route like you would if you were making an FDA drug. So, you know, there's a lot of people with a lot of claims. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of people with animals that have seen great turnarounds using uh, cannabinoids, uh, for cancer treatment, for symptom treatment, um, unfortunately, the data is just not there for us to to you know jump into the field and say yes, this will help your dog's cancer. Mm-hmm. But uh, from a lot of anecdotal evidence out there, the the CBD is the is the uh, next generation for for pet health, in my opinion.
1: Fantastic! Thanks so much, Tony. I really appreciate you joining me today. It's been a pleasure. And I want to thank everybody else who was on the show today on Pet Lover Geek. This is a really important show, and I love everybody who took the time to talk with us. Dr. Kelly Deal from Morris Animal Foundation. Thank you so much for coming on again. Uh, Dr. Rachel Venable from Arizona Veterinary Oncology Clinic and her talking about all the cutting-edge therapies and treatments that are out there. Really exciting stuff. And also Damien Dressler from the Dog Cancer Survival Guide. A must-have book for any pet parent who is going through uh, cancer with their dog. Make sure to turn in next cat. Saturday because next week we are going to go to the cats, folks. It is going to be a kitty riffic show all about felines, cats rule, dogs drool. That's next week on Pet Lover Geek on Voice America's Variety Channel.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week for Pet Lover Geek.